Welcome to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. After multiple DUIs, a stretch behind bars, losing his standing in his career, and arriving in a state that he describes as highly impaired, Dave Devitt checked into Mar in January of 1987. It would take years, but eventually he made his way back to school to study psychology in order to understand the disease that he suffered from and learn how he could help others. Now as one of Mar's long-standing and beloved counselors, he reflects on his time both as a client and a counselor at Mar. The uh, reality is that I was at a point of such brokenness that without AA recommending it, the best I could do is live and exist one day at a time. I came to Mar because I had no place else to go. There was no family. There was no home. There was nothing. I didn't have to worry about phone lists and signing releases for people to call. I didn't have anybody to call. I'm the type of alcoholic. Uh, I'm, I don't go out drinking because you buy me a beer, then I'm forced to buy you one, and that doesn't fit with my schema of fiscal responsibility as an alcoholic. I drink in isolation and feel sorry for myself. Uh, I had no place to go. All I knew was I had to not drink today and just not get tossed out. Um, I actually can tell you that I didn't come to Mar to get sober. I came to Mar to, to get a respite and try and figure out how to keep the cops from arresting me. I came here not to manage consequences, but to try somehow to survive them. Uh, I had no clue as to what I was doing in groups. I was simply trying not to get thrown out and to get another day of not drinking under my belt and to get another meal and get a safe place to sleep. When you're a small skinny guy like me, jail is not your safest location. And pretty much that was my framework. Can I just get through today? Can I just get through this week? I had no idea what I was doing in process groups, you know. Uh, I had just come out of jail. Uh, these people, the counselors are saying, well, you need to get vulnerable. Vulnerable vulnerable. You get vulnerable in jail, you're going to get badly hurt, you know. And, uh, you know, you have to learn to trust. I'm looking at a group of addicts and I'm an alcoholic. What do you mean trust? You know, so... I, I was one confused little puppy, which probably accounts for that and a few minor rule violations for the fact that I remained on Buddy for 14 weeks. Mm. Um, and I didn't complete uh, Mars 12-week uh, program until my 16th week. Mm. Then I moved into three-quarters uh, and from three-quarters went to seven-eighths. And it was seven-eighths that I cleared up enough of to realize and to look with reality what had happened to me inside the, the penal system, I started, uh, I was sober enough at the time or absent enough, I began to look at, oh, shit, I'm 40 years old. I can't go back to working uh, in finance or in, in commodities. I cannot go back to radio. I got nowhere to go. And I'm holding a, a, a degree that I cannot use. Uh, so that's when I started back to school. That was about 1989. And late 19, fall of 88, mm -hmm. I went back to, to school and started re-educating myself. And uh, I, I can attribute that choice of venue to Mar and to the Clayton House and to Clayton Mental Health uh, because uh, uh, 
I had formed uh, several acquaintances and friendships at the Clayton House. They told us to do that, get to know the people. And one of my friends uh, uh, was somebody who was just as earnest as I was uh, and had mentioned the fact that uh, uh, they were going to come off their antidepressant. And several old timers talked about you can't use crutches. Alcohol was our crutch. You need to get sober all by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, the green card came out. We do not speak to issues of drug abuse or addiction. You know, please confine your subject matter to items uh, related to alcohol. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my friend felt shamed and embarrassed and wanted to be accepted by the guys. Yeah, maybe these antidepressants were uh, were uh, uh, a crutch, and so. Uh, Two and a half weeks later, I walk in, used to seeing my friend on Thursday nights. My friend didn't there. And I ask my ask you guys, well, what's happened to so-and-so? Oh, just just got off the antidepressants. Took a 12-gauge shotgun and blew his throat and upper thorax away. It was then that I realized that it was not sufficient just to care. Not sufficient just to love be loved and to be concerned and to interface. I better learn what I'm doing because uh, these are my people and this is the place I have made for myself in the world. I was now a convicted felon. I was now an alcoholic. There's no upper status level in this. These are my people. Uh, they're part of me and I'm part of them. And if I'm uh, if I'm going to love them, if I'm going to care for them, if I'm going to care about them, I better know what I'm doing. So at that point in time, I decided to enter the field of psychology and spent the next 88 to 96 doing my prerequisite backtracking into a baccalaureate, then the master's and then the EDS, and then went for the, uh, the uh, PhD uh, and uh, ended up uh, uh, not being able to afford it because I was working at Paul Folks for my Mar job and living in Mar 7-8's apartment. So uh, I decided uh, that I couldn't afford a year's free uh, internship, which was a requirement back then. And so I just went ABD and the PhD. And in uh, July 6th of 1996, went to work to Mar. And I want to get to the counseling or being a Mar staff member Mm -hmm. soon. But before we move on to that, during that time, you, at the beginning, you mentioned you couldn't, you didn't know what was going on in process groups. You didn't, you were just trying to survive. And it, you'll you'll hear it from several staff and patients. I still don't know to this day. I mean, we, you're not going to head down the road. Have I learned anything? <laughs> that, that, that's not how this story ends. <laughs> not to say, that's, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> Look, looking back on it now, did you think? Do you think things were starting to happen for you? And even even though at the time it just felt like you were surviving, did, was something was, was information seeping in or relationships starting to form that during that time? Even well, though very you much so, because I uh, my mar job was uh, was making biscuits at Paul folks, and Mar had four or five patients down there. Some from the women's center, some from men's center. Cleo and I got awards from the Atlanta Journal. Uh, Poor folks had the best biscuits in town and best uh, iced tea in town. Uh, but I was learning how to formulate and risk trusting. Um, Doug uh, uh, even got me involved in sponsoring some of the newcomers. Um, so uh, I was gradually, gradually coming out of the fog. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and yeah, it was going to be a long, slow grind, but that is, that is the legacy I built for myself. Mm-hmm. So across time, slowly. Um, I was fortunate enough to figure out that Mar was an uh, uh, outstanding foundation, but the foundation represented an opportunity for me to, A, look at the reality of the disease, chronic, progressive, incurable. I'm going to have to keep uh, managing. The, I'm not going to get. I'm not going to get well. The charges aren't going to go away. The police aren't going to start sending me Christmas cards. Uh, but I can manage this disease if I get involved with others. So I started getting involved away from the Clayton House with small groups. Um, became GSR, the Flint River Group. Learned the business of AA. Came to understand AA. I was very fortunate uh, to uh, to have the environment I did. I had people around me at the Flint River Group, a core of 11 guys who were very, very friendly and listened very politely about my feelings. They were, you know, they, you know, we've been there, we understand that, mm-hmm. but they didn't give a damn about their, my feelings. They cared about what I did and what I learned to do. And uh, these are the guys that taught me uh, uh, recovery is not about feeling, it is about dealing with reality. Mm-hmm. Right there on page, uh, the foreword of the 12 and 12, it says uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of more than 100,000 men and women who are banded together to come together to solve their common problem and address that age-old baffling malady, alcoholism. My common, my common problem I share with all my other brothers and sisters is I don't know how to live on God's terms or life's terms. I seem to prefer my own. And uh, so that was a struggle that was going on. It slowly resolved itself. And that's been part of what I work with the guys up here is uh, I'm not particularly warm and fuzzy. I'm uh, in your face and very direct. And we're going to look at the book because I don't have the answers. But through the grace of God, through the support of Mar and through the fellowship of AA, I've learned to love the questions. And I'm going to ask you a few questions and I'm going to, we're going to keep challenging the questions because it's not about having the answers and it's not about knowing anything. It's about learning how to live, learning how to love, and finally to learn how to love living. Mm. Uh, Mar offers an opportunity for me to enter my real world. Uh, I do this with patients a lot and I said, guys, guys, Stop worrying about going back to the real world. If you're going to stay sober, if you're going to learn how to enjoy life, this is your new real world, and it will incur, will, it will include a meeting every night. It will include a conversation with my sponsor, with your sponsor. It's going to include laughter, joy, and joking. It's going to include serious empathy. It's going to include a great deal of sadness because most of us aren't going to make it and a lot of us are going to die. Uh, and that's our new real world. Going back to what you, where, you're, where you came to Mar from, that's just going back to the illness. So Mar gave me a format and a structure and a general outline for living mm. and backed off enough and pushed me out enough that I could take 
that format and foundation and make it mine. Um, so um, there is hope. Uh, there is recovery. Uh, but you have to make it yours. Yeah. And Mar, uh, what Mar offered me was a safe place with safe staff uh, in which I could, A, survive the rigors of what alcohol had done to me across the years, and then B, learn to, gave me a place to apply new values and new principles for living in loving relationship with all of God's world, which will include the authority of Mar, the authority of AA, the authority of, of God, uh, and uh, with that which God creates, which is my fellow Martian, mm. my fellow Mar alum. You see, God must love us common garden variety, plain vanilla drunks, makes an awful lot of us. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us to love one another. So Mar offered me uh, Mar became home. Mar became family. Mar became my new origin. Hmm. Then I go forward and learn how to serve in AA, became GSR, uh, went down to Macon, uh, got involved in the business of AA, got involved in carrying the message to hospitals and, and institutions. I got a, got a nighttime job at Southern Regional working on the crisis line. Hmm. Uh, and you know, in that way, I learned how to move from a life of self-centered protectiveness, it's all about me surviving, to a life of being able to consider something other than myself and my survival, mm -hmm. learning to consider the well-being of other people. So uh, Mar became a solid foundation, and but they also became an opportunity to for me to make my recovery my recovery. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, that was kind of the the launch pad for you to go off. And so what would you say to people? Because I, I heard this a lot when I was in admissions that like, okay, well, I'm just going to go to AA then, you mm -hmm. know. Please like, do. Uh, will you go to page XX, uh, uh, XIX uh, in the big book, uh, Doctor's Opinion, you'll see the note. The only thing we have to offer as any relief and remedy is complete and total abstinence. Um, we are a community of diversity uh, that Mar, Mar you know, kept me and Robert and Cleo and you know Jerry and everybody kept us all corralled. We were wandering around, you know, blind drunk, and. Mar just uh, kept us corralled until God could get around to us. And that's the gift uh, that, uh, uh, that Mar offers is uh, my job is to get in my client's way uh, long enough until God can get here and talk him into doing things God's way. Now you're here, full-time staff member for how many years? Uh, be 24 coming up. Uh, what's the, what, 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 I don't know. See, that's alcoholic, uh, alcoholic arithmetic. <laughs> Got to save that for my taxes. Uh, let's see. Tw so it's going to be nineteen. This is going to be twenty nineteen and twenty third year. Wow. Twenty three um, years in July. So how do you get in the way of your clients? Like, what does that look like? You said you, that your job is to get in the way until God can contact them. Um, well, my uh, my psychology. Uh, Theory of orientation is uh, 
Adler. Uh, Adlerians are teachers. Adlerians are cognitive. Uh, Adlerians say the child cannot be punished until first the child is educated. Alfred Adler was the founder of the concept of kindergarten and primary schooling. Uh, my default position uh, is always uh, existentialism. And one of the, one of the uh, uh, precepts of Adlerian counseling is called spitting in the client's soup. Nobody takes any more pride in their ideas than an alcoholic. And his ideas will have three basic tenets to them. He will be in charge of it. It is wonderful. <laughs> and it will, it will always result in his personal comfort. So statements like, uh, I'll just go to AA. Okay, that's good if you can do it. Keep our number. If it doesn't work out, we might be able to offer you some pointers. What am I going to do with you as a client is... Um, multiple places in the uh, 12 and 12 and the uh, uh, big book uh, identify the fact that both Bill and Bob felt that alcohol was merely a symptom. We had to get down to causes and conditions. If we keep it simple, causes and conditions allows me to clearly look at my life story and my first step, which we're going to ask you to do in primary when you come tomorrow, and discover that it really ain't so much about my drinking as it is about my thinking, how I perceive my world, how I interpret my world, and how I choose to engage my world. Those three things tend to, they tend to create conflict. Now, I don't like conflict, but I've discovered what helps me with the anxiety of conflict. <laughs> and I just keep popping those tops until the anxiety disappears. That way I can tell you that alcohol is not my problem, it's my solution. Then I'm going to ask you how your solutions are working. We're going to um, we're going to uh, market to you two books, uh, which are available on Amazon for five dollars and fifty cents each, and you're going to read them. And on page 23, you will see the words. Put 23 of the big book. You'll see the words. These observations would be. Uh, academic and pointless if our friend never took the next drink. Well, that's why you're here at Mar, is you did take that next drink. So uh, on page 23, it says, therefore, the problem with the alcoholic is within his mind rather than within his body. That's my disease, how I rationalize and how I justify my constantly focusing on the self-comfort and self-gratification of me. When I learn that it's more than just about me. When I learn that I'm not the center of the universe. In fact, that I was not designed to have all the power and answers. I was designed to help others and they're designed to help me. And together, we don't come up with the answers. We come up with the joy of the questions and the journey back home to the old schoolroom from which we first came. You mentioned that before, the importance of the questions over the answers. Can you say more about that? The notion that for me to do anything, uh, the alcoholic notion, see, I'm an alcoholic, so I'm not going to ask the pretty girl to dance unless I know how the song ends. Mm. I need to be the producer, the director. I, I, the, I need to be the screenwriter, you know, and I need to have total control over the licensing rights to, you know, to see how they get plays in the uh, in the screens and in the theaters. My fear is such that I have a natural urge to need to control everything. 
I can control it actively by being a bully, or I can control it seductively by being passive dependent. But I want to be in charge at all times because my belief system is if it is to be, it's up to me. And AA allows me to gently explore risking thinking something more than just myself. I maintain that the spiritual bankruptcy, referred to on page 21 of the 12 and 12, where it says no other bankruptcy is quite like this one. Alcohol has become the rapacious creditor that bleeds us of all self-will and self-sufficiency. The spiritual bankruptcy, if I define spirit as that which separates us from all other animals, an intrinsic part of human mentation which says and allows me to consider past, present, future all simultaneously with today's and this moment's present stimulus. But as an alcoholic, I forget my consequences. I forget that I had a DUI three hours ago and I drink again. I forget that I have two DUIs pending. Uh, you know, and I don't care where this takes me. I'm, I just need some relief now. I have nothing more than what I need, what I want now. That's what drives my alcoholism. Nothing more from the past, nothing more in the future. Well, the essence of spiritual development is to realize that there is something much more, much greater mm -hmm. than myself. More than you, more than me, more than we. Mm -hmm. The greatest more we, any of us can contemplate is a concept of creation and origination. Uh, and that is available uh, to me slowly. I'm not just going to have a snap. I, I, I'm too impaired. I'm going to want to, you know, I'm going to want to test, check, recheck, things like that. Uh, but not having the answers, not having to be in control is such a release of energy, such a quiet peacefulness to the soul. I'm not as uptight. I'm not as frightened as I used to be. And that's the message. The message is Mar will help you find a place, a group of people, a safe environment, and then you can make it your own. We'll get you started. And we will become your best cheerleaders along the way. Mm. Even though it might not feel like that at certain points, might feel like spitting in. Why is he spitting in my soup? <laughs> well, once again, remember, I'm Adlerian, I'm cognitive, uh -huh. so I don't care about your feelings. Right. Uh, anyone can create a song. I care about your dance. Yeah. I don't care about what you intend. For me, early recovery is moving from the morality of, well, it's about moving from the mythology of me. I can handle this. Not a problem. Mm -hmm. Most alcoholics, <laughs> you know, most alcoholics are unwilling to admit they're real alcoholics. I can safely say I was the last one to know I was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. uh, my absence of friends I used to have clearly showed that they knew before I did. <laughs> um, so I moved from the mythology of myself through my life story at Mar, uh, which is much different than a clinical four-step in AA, uh, and, and I go to my first step, and then I move from the mythology of me to the reality of me. Then I have to deal with the morality of intentionality. Well, I never meant to have this happen. Well, we understand that. 
This ain't the blame game. But we don't care what you intended. We don't care what you really meant to do or felt like doing. What we care is what you did. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm defined. Not what I meant to do, not what I felt like doing. What did I really do? Okay, that's what counts in keeping me sober and keeping me involved with others. Okay, did I smile at you in a meeting and then go out front and where the other guys are smoking cigarettes and you know gossip about you or backbite you? Mm-hmm. You know, which way are your feet pointed? Am I moving towards other people, towards better principles and better values to live by? Which way are my feet pointing? You know, anybody can talk the talk. People in recovery have to walk the walk. Well, I don't feel like going to a meeting tonight. Yeah. You also didn't feel like going to jail, did you? So uh, spitting, uh, spitting in the soup is I'm going to challenge your belief system. I'm going to challenge your logic. I'm going to challenge your ability to access your past. Well, now, wait a second. When we talked about this before, how did that work out in the past? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. I'm going to challenge your cognition because your cognition is going to enact the impulse of feelings or it's going to inhibit the impulse of feelings. Okay? I can't do anything about your instincts. They're God-given. And on page 43 of the, 42 of the 12 and 12, it says that uh, we are tormented by instincts in the extreme. But I damn sure can get you to, to love the questions. Why don't you call your sponsor and see what he says about this? What did your sponsor say about Well, what did your home group say about This is a wonderful idea. Mar needs co-education. Yes. Now, did you process this with your sponsor? <laughs> did you mention it to your home group? Have you heard anything about Mar's tradition? Yeah. No. We will be relating to men first. We'll let, the, let things take their course in later years. Mm-hmm. Right now, you have, to stay, you have to stay sober one day at a time. You're going to find one day at a time is made up of rapidly sequential present moments at a time. And each present moment is a result and will call for a choice at that moment in and of that time. Life, L-I-F-E. We hear about the juice and the passion and that sort of thing, but the truth is my life is simply the sum total of all my choices. My sponsor, my AA home group, these guys here at Mar, if they're going to help me and that's the quid pro quo, because I can't help me, can I? As a matter of fact, you're not going to change my thinking, but you're going to give me a vehicle to change my choosing. If I'll let somebody else know how I feel, how I think, how I perceive, how I interpret, and best of all, what I intend to do about it before I do it. Because mm-hmm. that's the quid pro quo of living in a Mar home and functioning in an AA community is when I hear your life story and your first step and you hear mine, well, I'm, I, I don't have any, any control over my next drink. It's very subjective, personal entitlement. Mm-hmm. I'm very objective when it comes to yours. And you're very objective when it comes to mine. Right. And it doesn't matter whether you like cocaine and I like alcohol or you like Oxycontin and I like Roxycontin. doesn't matter. The thing is, I can save your ass if you'll save mine. That's the quid pro quo of recovery. We don't know how we do it. We don't know that we can do it. But we know that we must do it. And it starts out with a question. How you doing today? Stop telling the world how many of the answers you know. Mm -hmm. Start asking questions. Can I help you? Mm -hmm. Do you need an ear for that problem? 
Yeah, right. Yeah, sure. Pull up a pity pot. It's a two seater. I'll stay here ten minutes. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll talk about it. If you can't do it, if you can't convince me to go down to Heavy Herman's with you, then you got to go with me over to an AA meeting. So, if you had one thing to pass on to people who are listening, what would it be? Yeah, um, disease of addiction is chronic, progressive, and incurable. Its only known antidote is love, and love is not a feeling. Love is a carefully considered, deliberately decided upon commitment to nurture another spiritual development. And I'm quoting Scott Peck here, or as best I can, uh, to nurture another's spiritual development as much but not one iota more than I nurture my own. Love is not a feeling. It is a joining. Please allow me to experience the reality of my disease and the reality of my consequences and choices. Because not all of them are resolved the minute I could check into treatment. Some of those consequences come on down the road a little later on. Uh, and I will work very hard as a patient, as a as a, a, a drinker, I will work very hard not to come between you and the God of your understanding with incessant pleadings for money and bail and new cars and you know da 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 da. And uh, uh, I will respect you not coming between the God of my understanding and my natural sequential uh, consequences. The antidote for addiction is love. Love is not a feeling. It's perfect. Thank you, Dave. Okay. We done? Yeah, we're done. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Mar Experience Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. Our show is co-produced by Angela Edmonds and our executive producer is David Tate. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.